Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. So you watch the news. As you're watching the news, you know, you see all different kinds of things. But every now and then there's these, these stories that are real like tragedies. I mean, really, right? You, watch, you go, oh, you know, and it's just, how, how do people deal with that? And, and the reporter's talking to the person and says, well, so how, how were you able to, to bear up under this? How were you able to go on? And they say, what? well, it was, it was faith. You know, it was our faith. That's what enabled us to go on. And you, and you, you wonder, wow, what do they really mean? What, what are, are they talking about when they say their faith? And it's unclear. Uh, you don't know if it's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his word or if it's faith in some generic God or faith in something else. And so you hear that. And, and so then you, you watch, uh, you know, more things. And then you see after a football game, and they're talking to one of the players and says, so how was it you guys managed to, you know, to... to hang through all that stuff and win. They say, well, we had faith. You ever heard that? Yeah, we, we, have, we just had to have faith. We, we told you, we've got to keep the faith, you know, and, and you're starting to think, well, wait a minute, that doesn't sound quite like faith that the Bible will be talking about. And then you, then you do here, right? You, you see protesters about some issue, whatever the issue is, and they're talking, and the guy's speaking to his, the followers, and he says, we've got to keep the faith, keep the faith, you know, and And then God says in his word that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So that's a pretty big deal, isn't it? And and so we want to say, well, what is this faith thing we're talking about? How do we get this right? Because we want to please God with our lives. And so it's really important that we understand faith. So we, we've been uh, talking about getting to know Jesus better. Uh, not just knowing about him, but knowing him and, and seeing how he interacts with things and what he says about things. And, and as we learn to know that, that, that we can learn some really important things about how to live our lives. And, and so we, we've talked about the fact that Jesus values weakness. You remember that? First week we talked about Jesus values weakness and he values weakness because that puts us in a place when we recognize that we are weak and unable to do something where we consciously, purposefully choose to trust God and depend on him. So see, weakness brings us to good places. And then um, last week we talked about valuing people enough to tell them the truth that they need to hear even when it's uncomfortable for us, that the people need to be that important to us. And Jesus demonstrated that to us. And this week, we're gonna look at two stories from his life uh, in close proximity in the scripture, though, that, that where we're gonna learn some really important things about faith. So let's take our Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke. If you don't have a Bible with you, we encourage you to pick up one from the chair there in front of you and turn to page 1,188, 1188. Uh, I started to say this is a really remarkable story, but really they all seem like they're remarkable stories, don't they? When you read about the Lord Jesus Christ. And before we start reading this passage, uh, let me just describe to you uh, an individual Uh, And this is a Roman centurion here in the time of Christ. 
A centurion was uh, a Roman soldier who was given uh, charge of a hundred other soldiers. There were a hundred soldiers under him, which is where the centurion, century, hundred, right? Centurion title comes from. And so he's a man of great authority, a hundred soldiers under him. And remember that Rome was an occupying force at this time, right? They were not really welcome in Israel. They were there by force and, and, and ruling over the Jewish people, taxing them, and uh, they were not a welcome group of people. And yet a centurion is right at the center of this first story. Chapter seven and verse one in Luke. Now when he, talking about Jesus, now when he concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. And a certain centurion's servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. So let's just stop right there. So this centurion already seems like, not like a typical Roman centurion, okay? He's hearing about Jesus and he's believing something about Jesus and, and he, um, doesn't feel, as we're gonna see in the story, doesn't feel like he can ask Jesus to really to come to his house and he can't go personally. So he, he finds the leaders of the Jewish people there, uh, probably connected with the synagogue and ask them to go, ask Jesus to come and heal my servant. Verse four, and when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Then Jesus, so do you see what's happening, right? This, this center has used his authority and possibly even his own funds, whatever, to, to provide a new synagogue for them in, in uh, Capernaum. So they're saying, this guy's not like a normal centurion. He's a good guy. Come heal his servant for him. Verse six. Then Jesus went with them. And when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. And so as the, these Jewish elders have gone to bring him, and they've, they've gone, and Jesus is coming, he has second thoughts. The centurion has second thoughts. They say, wait a minute, I can't ask this man to come into my house. I'm not, I'm not worthy to have him in my home. But this Second thoughts is not, I, you know, I still don't have a need, I still do have a need. And here's how he approaches it. Verse seven, he says, therefore I did not even think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed. And what? In other words, Jesus, you don't have to come. All, all you have to do is just say it and he'll be healed. Verse eight, for I also am a man placed under authority having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. With the idea being, he's recognizing that Jesus, what? Has authority to heal his servant. Jesus can just say the words. And the centurion says, I understand this because I know how authority works, and you have this authority, and you can just say it, and it will happen. Verse nine. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith. 
not even in Israel, not even among all the people who know about God and know the scriptures. I haven't found faith like this in anybody, but in this Gentile, this non-Jewish man who's part of this occupying force, I have seen faith that makes me marvel. Verse 10, and those who were sent returning to the house found the servant well who had been sick. So indeed, he did heal him. But think about this. Isn't it amazing that we can have faith that the Lord would marvel over? Think about that. That, that the Lord was like, wow. <laughs> I don't know how many moment, wow moments God has. <laughs> but this was a wow moment. Like, wow, look at this guy's faith. Out of all the people that I would expect to see this kind of faith, I'm not seeing it, but I'm seeing it here. And he marveled at his faith. And so the first truth I want you to see here is that, that Jesus highly values your faith. Somehow your faith matters to him. He doesn't need it, right? He doesn't need our faith. He is who he is and can do what he does whether we have faith or not. I mean, he has set up how he's going to work that, that does require our faith. But he doesn't have to do it that way. He doesn't need anything from us. But he values it. Isn't that amazing that you and I can do something that the Lord would look at and say, wow, that really matters to me. And that's what he did here. So that is the first part of the thing about faith that I want you to see here today. Now, let's, let's go over a couple pages into chapter 8. I'm going to look at another story. Chapter 8 is page 1191 in the Bible that's there in the chairs. Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 22. Now it happened on a certain day that he, again that he's Jesus, that he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let us cross over to the other side of the lake, and they launched out. Now that was about an eight-mile trip across the lake, okay? So it's a significant trip. Um, and they launched out. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in jeopardy. Now, um, we may not necessarily have a, a good thought. We think a lake and all that kind of stuff. But the reality is the way this is, the Sea of Galilee is about 600 feet below sea level. And it's surrounded by mountains that go all the way up to 2,000 feet above sea level. And so it's not unusual with this drastic temperature changes for all of a sudden windstorms to develop that come down and just raise huge waves and problems. And uh, the boat that they were in apparently was taking on water, right? Because up and down, and they were worried. Because, uh, and I was trying to find an answer on, on uh, the internet to this, how far an average person can swim. And uh, near as I can tell, so the average person who's not like a really trained swimmer, you know, you swim a mile, you're going to be exhausted. So put yourself in the middle of the lake and uh, with really rough water and winds and uh, possibly, depending on the circumstances, maybe not even being able to see which way to the shore, I mean, the shore, you know, where they're at. And so they were genuinely at risk. People did die in the Sea of Galilee. That's why they were afraid. Several of these guys were experienced fishermen and they're still afraid, okay? This is a, a serious deal. 
All right, so let's read on. Verse 24, and they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. Do you think he had their attention? <laughs> now, we're going to see. I mean, we might think, oh, he can master, master. You can see, we know... By the way, we know the rest of the story on so many of these things that it affects how we think about them. But realize, they didn't know the rest of the story. And so they're coming to Jesus. We are perishing. Uh, they might have been asked, more asking, what, are, what, what should we do? What are we, how do we, you know, what are we going to do here? They didn't have a sense that he could do this miracle. So it says, and they ceased and there was a calm. Verse 25, but he said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, Who can this be? For he commands even the winds and water, and they obey him. I heard a preacher one time say that uh, what's more scary than being in a boat in the middle of a lake in a huge windstorm? And that's discovering that God is in your boat. <laughs> And uh, so they are fearful because this, they, hadn't, they had not made this connection with who he was yet. He had done healings. In fact, he had done a lot of healings. We looked, there's four or five specifically recorded before this. And then there are time, a couple places where it says he healed the multitudes. And so he healed multitudes. He also dealt with uh, demons and spiritual possession and handled all those kinds of things. And so they knew he could work miracles, right? They knew he could work miracles, but this, it was that kind of miracle. It's a whole different level of miracle when you can tell the wind to stop blowing and the waves to stop going, right? That's a whole different level of miracle. And they, they didn't realize who could do it. And they're, they're asking the right question, right? Well, who is this that can do that? Because who's the only one who can do this? Who's the only one that can do this kind of stuff? God is the only one who can do this kind of stuff. So they are asking the right questions here, okay? And, and they're starting to realize the right answer. But I want you to see here in verse 25, he said to them, where is your faith? Did he think they should have had faith that he was going to take care of them? Yeah. Where is your faith? And so not only does Jesus highly value your faith, he also expects you to have it. Jesus highly values your faith and expects you to have it. Hmm. You see, it's perfectly logical to Jesus, isn't it, that we would have faith in him because he's the one who can do these things, right? Why should we worry? Jesus says we're going to the other side. Now, this, this looks pretty bad to me, but man, Jesus can control the wind and waves. And even if we go in, he can rescue us. I mean, what are we worried about? We don't need to worry. We have faith, right? Um, it's perfectly logical to Jesus that we would have faith and not worry. It's not so logical to us, is it? <laughs> I mean, if I think about it, really think about it, it is very logical. It is logical. But I have to confess that I am not always in my right mind. Anybody else here not always in your right mind? Okay. How are you doing right now? No. <laughs> So uh, obviously he's right, and our thinking is the one thinking that's messed up. So we need to get a handle on what this is. If Jesus highly values faith and he expects us to have it, what is faith? And how do we have it? 
Well, first of all, let's clear this up. Faith is not actually something. It's not something that you have, like a headache. (laughs) I have faith. Or it's not like an object that I have faith. It's not a thing in and of itself out there. So let's just talk, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a definition of what faith is, and, and for those of you theologians here today, I'm not trying to give you a highly technical definition of it. I'm trying to give you a practical working understanding of what the Bible means when it talks about us having faith, okay? So here's what faith is. Faith is knowing what's true about God and choosing to trust him because of it. And when I say knowing what's true about God, I mean knowing that what he, we know that he tells us the truth, right? So we're we're talking about his word as well uh, and what he does and how he does. But knowing the truth about God, knowing what's true about him, and then choosing to trust him because of it. All right? Uh, Let me just look here for a moment. So let's consider from our story, uh, consider our stories in light of this definition. Let's go back to the story about the centurion. What did the centurion conclude was true about Jesus? that he had the authority, right, to to heal his servant, that he was able to do that. He had so much authority, he didn't even need to show up, didn't need to touch him, didn't need to do anything like that. All I needed to do was say the words and he could be healed. He had concluded this truth, and, and then he did what? He chose to trust that was true when he did what? When he sent the, the Jewish elders. Go ask him to come. And as he pondered this and started to have second thoughts about it, I'm not worthy to have this man in my house because I know I'm a sinner and I'm not worthy. But he has the authority. Now he sends his friend and says, look, you don't even need to come. So what is he doing? He, he's no, having these things that he's concluded are true. This is true and he's doing what? He's choosing to trust that those things are true. He had faith, the kind of faith that Jesus had not seen amongst all the people that you might have thought would have had it. All right, so now let's go to the story about the disciples in the boat. The disciples did not have the truth, understand the truth about who Jesus was here, did they? They had an incomplete understanding of who he was. He's a great teacher, he's probably the Messiah, he can heal people, this is awesome, but we're going under. And they didn't have this sense of truth that Jesus is able to, you know, stop this and save us. And because of that, they were what? They were just fearful, anxious. They didn't know what to do. They didn't trust the Lord. And so they did not have faith. And that's where Jesus says to them, what? Where is your faith? Where is your faith? Jesus highly values your faith. And we see that in the story of the centurion. And then with the disciples, we see that not only does he highly value your faith, but he also expects you to have it. So how do we, how do we get this? Well, I think there are, are two issues that get in the way of us having faith. There may be more, and you may have your own personal issues. But two big issues get in the way of us um, having this kind of faith, where we know the truth about the Lord and, and choose to trust him. And and the first thing is this, it's a question. Is God really able? Is he really able to do this? And that's where the disciples were at in the boat, right? 
But I didn't have any sense that he was able to do that. And so when we aren't sure if God is really able to do this, I mean, this, here's the thing. The disciples knew, well, yeah, he's able to heal people. He's able to do this, but this thing, I don't know. Have you ever found yourself at that place in life where in your mind you know, oh, yeah, I know God can do whatever needs to be done, yeah, but this, I, mm, I don't know. So is he really able is, is one question we need to answer. Now, in this story that we read about the disciples in the boat, this same story is told in, the, in some of the other Gospels. And in the other Gospel, uh, the Gospel of Mark, we find them in the middle of this saying these words to the Lord. Mark chapter four, they say to Jesus, do you not care that we are perishing? What are you doing sleeping? We're trying to bail the boat out and save the boat. Don't you care? And this is another question that causes us not to really have the faith that we ought to have, and that is, does he really care? Maybe he is able, but does he care enough to do something about it? So let's, let's focus in on these two questions and, and answer them. First one, is he really able? Well, if we go back to Genesis 1.1, it says, if you know it, say it with me, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So let's stop it. He is, if he's creator God, everything that there is, everything in this world, and, and you look at how the world is put together and how, I just, I get, I'm so amazed. Sometimes I, I go and, and just watch a video or read an article about some aspect even of our own human physiology and, and all the intricacy that's there and how it all has to be in place and it's so obvious it's designed. And then the whole creation is like that and it extends out billions and billions of light years into the universe, I mean all this stuff, right? And when I think that, I gotta think what? Uh, is he really able? Yeah, the prophet Jeremiah said this. Talking about this, he says, Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. And then in our Bible, 10 verses later, God chimes in and says, I am the Lord, the God of all the peoples of the world. Is anything too hard for me? And that's a rhetorical question. Because no, nothing is too hard for him. So whatever needs to happen, God can do. Now let's be real clear here. This is where we kind of get messed up sometimes. We tend to think that, um, when I say God is able to do whatever needs to happen, that doesn't mean God will do whatever I think needs to happen. <laughs> I've already confessed to you today that I'm not always in my right mind. And so there are times when I think certain things need to happen that I think, boy, God, this would be the time to do a miracle. And he doesn't do it. I have seen a few miracles in my day, but it doesn't always, not the way I think or when I think. And that shouldn't surprise us. I mean, think about it. If, if you've had a child or you have a grandchild or you know someone has a child and you watch the child, you know, they reach an age where they think, that the ideal situation would be I can eat ice cream anytime I want, I can have as much candy as I want, don't have to eat my vegetables, I can stay up as late as I want, play video games as long as I want, I skip school tomorrow, if I wanna go, I'll go, if I don't wanna go. And you as the parent go, that's a great idea, I'll do whatever you want. 
No, you don't, right? Because you know this is not the best. This isn't the best choice. No matter how convinced your kid is that this is the best, you're saying it's really not. And so we aren't gonna do it that way. So wouldn't it make sense to us who have limited knowledge? I mean, we think we know a lot, but the reality is we don't know very much. I mean, I, I know most of you probably at some level here, and um, I have some idea about what goes on in your life, sort of, but there are things in your life I have no idea about. You have feelings I don't know about. You have past experiences I don't know. They may have things going on in your life right now. I don't have a clue about, see? So my knowledge is very limited, but God's isn't. His is perfect and complete. And so he works, he knows what's best. He knows he has eternal plans and purposes that are in my best interests. So the point is he's not necessarily gonna do what I think he ought to do, but he's able to do whatever is best to do. He's able to do whatever really needs to be done. All right, so then the question comes, but does he really care? Does he really care? Well, a little bit later in the Gospel of Luke, he's talking about this, that he says to his disciples that the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Now, including myself, there are a few of us in here today who I think God has a lot easier job than he used to have. <laughs> Until somebody informed me once that no, no, he has to keep track of yours all over the world. But what's the point of the very hairs of your head or no? We say that's an insignificant thing, right? Insignificant, but he says, God knows those things about you. Those little details that others might think is insignificant. Why does he know that? Because he values you. Because he, he cares about you. And in that same passage, he, he starts talking about sparrows. And he says, are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten before God. I, I came to my front door yesterday. We were getting ready to head out, uh, and all of a sudden, two little sparrows flew out. One on the stairs, and one down here. Another, one got spooked quick and took off, and the other just stayed. A little tiny sparrow, right? And Jesus said, not one of them is forgotten before God. In the Gospel of Mark, I think it is, when he's t t giving the same teaching, probably at a different time, but he says this, he says, not one of them falls to the ground without the Father. That means out there this winter when that little sparrow's in that tree and he's reached kind of the end of his life or her life and is there and trembling and cold and the snow and ice and finally just starts to fall. To the Lord, like catches him and lowers him to the ground and says, well done, little sparrow. You did what you were supposed to do. You did what you were designed by me to do. How much does he care about you? Aren't you of more value than many sparrows? He really, really does care, and he will always do what's really best in your life, even when it isn't what you... He loves you enough to do what you don't like because sometimes you need him to do it. Sometimes he lets you go through things. Even bigger than this, though, does he really care? In Romans 8, Paul says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He has paid the largest price he could ever pay for us. His son, the Lord Jesus Christ, hanging on the cross, bearing the guilt and penalty for our sins because he loves us. And if he is willing to do that for us, 
All the other stuff is what? Small stuff. Little stuff. Might be big to us, but it's, he cares. You might say, okay, I get it. I, okay, I understand. God is able, and yes, he does care, but this whole idea of faith, I, I just feel like I, I don't have enough faith. I, I, I don't have enough faith. Don't raise your hands here, but any of you here today feel like, man, I just don't have enough faith? I don't have enough. Well, I want to encourage you here today. It isn't about the amount of faith. It isn't how much faith you have that's the issue. Jesus explained this to his disciples. He said, I tell you the truth. If you have faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. Because faith, it's not about how much you have. It's about what your faith is in. A whole lot of faith in the wrong thing doesn't work. A little bit of faith in the right thing makes all the difference in the world. Let me give you a silly example, okay? Let's imagine that I'm in one of those times when I'm not in my right mind. And I get in my Audi, okay, my, my 2006 Audi with 150,000 miles on it. Boy, do I like that car. Anyway, uh, and I get in, I have it in my mind that, okay, yeah, you push the gas to make it go. But if you need to stop, just you need to push that same pedal really hard. Okay, I believe that. And I have faith that if I'll just push that gas pedal really hard, instead of going, it'll stop. All right, so I head down the hill, down Stafford Street here, and getting down, close to down to the lights at Ludlow, and there's cars sitting there at the light, and I'm going to stop. I have this tremendous, I have great faith in this, and I do what? I go, I push the gas pedal down extra hard, and what happens? This is not a good thing, is it? A whole lot of faith in something that isn't true and right. The wrong thing. But if instead I know that the brake pedal's there and it, it'll work and maybe I don't have, for some reason I don't have a lot of faith in that. I'm not sure about that. But when it comes time to hit, to stop, I, I push the brake. A little bit of faith in the right thing makes all the difference in the world. So don't, Beat yourself up and say, I just don't have a lot of faith. I don't have a lot of faith. It's not about the amount. It's about what you're putting your faith in. And you're putting your faith in one who will never let you down, who will absolutely do what needs to be done. Uh, I mean, another example, right? Um, if I find myself in financial, or you find yourself in financial Difficulties, and most of us have been there from time to time in our lives. And, and, and so you have a tremendous amount of faith in Foxwoods. I'm getting a paycheck, and I'm so far behind, I'm going to take the paycheck to Foxwoods this week, and I'm going to win it, and I'm going to get it. I've got all this faith, I'm going to do it. You'll probably come home what? Broke. Broker. <laughs> than you were. But maybe you have just a little bit of faith in what God says in his word about your money. And you, so you take that step. Okay, I'm going to choose to trust him. I, here's what God has said. I'm going to choose to trust him here. It's, it's kind of hard, but I'm going to choose to trust him here. A little bit of faith. But what God says is true, see? And God can work. And if he needs to do a miracle in your life, he will. 
All right, so Jesus highly values your faith and expects you to have it. Now, if he is expecting us to have it, uh, it implies that we are capable of having it. That makes sense? All right, so how do we have it? Well, let's think about our definition of faith. It's, it's, it's knowing what's true about God, which includes the fact that what he says is always true, so we can trust his word. Knowing uh, what's true about God and then choosing to trust, to, to step out on that and to act as though it is true. So first thing we need to do is we need to learn what the Lord is like. How can you trust him if you don't? Remember the disciples, they didn't understand that Jesus was able to do that. And so they didn't trust him to do it. So you and I need to be in the word of God. We need to be learning what the Lord is like. I know I've said this repeatedly, it seems like in the last couple months here, but you hear the preacher say, read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible, and you think, hi, he wants me to read my Bible. No, I want you to get to know God. See, I want you to know what he's like. So you need to get in the word, and not just get in the word. By the way, that's on your own, and this is what you're here today doing, that's great too, that's awesome, the Lord will use that in your life. You need to get together with other Christians who are serious about trying to follow the Lord too, and learn about the Lord, because you'll learn about the Lord by what's happening in their lives, and they'll learn about the Lord more what's happening in your lives, and, and so you learn what God is like, okay? And then you have to this is yours, nobody else can do this for you. You have to make the decision, okay, this is what God is like, this is what he said, here's what he's told me to do, how to uh, you know, live this, all this kind of stuff, and I, I have to finally do what? I have to say, okay, and take the step, that next little thing. And if we will do that, we will grow in our faith. We'll get to the place where next time it's, where it's easier to trust the Lord, we're quicker to trust the Lord. Of course, just know this, he's gonna bring you to places that are gonna stretch your faith, right? And it's all that stuff's gonna happen because he cares about you enough to try to get you to grow. Jesus highly values faith, expects you to have it. So let me ask you this today. I want you to ask this question of yourself. If I really knew the truth about Jesus, and actually chose to trust him, I would what? What are the issues? This is personal. I want this personal with you and God here right now. What would it be? Where is it that you need to say, okay, this is what's true about the Lord. I need to, what, where, what's going on in your life right now where that's the issue? You know, it may be that, that you have things that you just so dislike about yourself and, and you aren't sure and you just say, okay, well, but God knows me and God knows what needs to change and God knows what I can't change and God's ways are best here. So you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start engaging with God here. I'm gonna get in his word and I'm gonna get some help from my brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm gonna learn the truth about who I am and, and how do I live my life. I, I'm making that choice because of what I know about God. Because I know about what God says in his word is true and what he tells me about my marriage and my spouse and that he wants to be honored and glorified in my marriage and that my marriage, if, if I live it the way it's supposed to be, while there might be struggles, it, it will be a blessing from God. And, and so I, I need to do that and so I understand that and now I'm gonna choose to trust it and what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna stop focusing on my spouse's 
shortcomings and start focusing on my responsibilities. You see how this works? This is faith in action. Finances, health issues, anything. But it's critical that you know what the Lord has to say about these things. And ultimately, the starting point for this that you and I all have to come to grips with, and if you haven't yet, you need to, and those of you watching us, if you haven't reached this point yet, here's some truth about God and what he says. The truth about God is that he's a holy God. He, he doesn't, you know, voluntarily have anything to do with sin. He doesn't sin, he's not tempted to sin. He's a holy God, and the problem with that is that every one of us are not. Every one of us have failed. We, we do sin. We have not lived the way that we ought to. And the Bible tells us that God will absolutely judge sin. Those who are guilty for sin will be judged by the Lord. Judgment, he has to judge sin. And then the Bible tells us that he loves us so much that he didn't want us to have to pay that penalty. And so, the Son of God came down from heaven and became a human being. And as he lived this life as a perfect human being, never sinning, he was able to go to the cross and die. And as he dies hanging on the cross, as I already mentioned earlier, what? The Father takes the penalty, the judgment for my sins and put it on Jesus. The penalty and judgment for your sins puts it on Jesus. Rises again from the dead three days later. And now we all have a choice. The choice is, is that we can say, no, you know what? I, I don't want to follow Christ. I don't want to be a Christian. I want to dance this. So I'll just handle this on my own. Well, handling it on your own will land you before God at the final judgment, guilty, and having to go to hell for all eternity to pay for those sins. But there's a different option, isn't there? There is the option that you can come to the Lord and say, I believe that Jesus, you did die for my sins. I believe you did pay the penalty for my sins. And I, I know for a fact that I can't fix this. I've proven that time and time again. I can't change the past. Any of that. Now, I need your forgiveness and I'm gonna trust you, Jesus, to provide this forgiveness for my sins. And so you see what we're doing? We're knowing the what? We're knowing the truth about him, what he's done. We're knowing the truth about what he says about sin. We're knowing the truth about judgment. We know the truth about all that, and we know the, what Jesus did for us, and then we what? We choose to trust for me. And if you haven't done that, none of this other stuff matters yet. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you. For these truths, Lord, and, and that we can have faith, you've, you've not only valued and expect us, but you, you've made us able to have faith. I pray, Father, we'd look closely at our own lives and see where am I not living by faith? Where am I not really believing what's true about you and what you say in your word and I'm going my own way instead of choosing to trust you about that? Help us to see that, Father. I know in my own life this week you've pointed out some key things and I thank you for that. I want to Live by faith in those areas. Father, I do pray in here right now for anybody who 
has never settled that issue themselves between you and them of receiving Jesus as Savior, I pray right now they would place their faith in you and what you've done, that they would choose to receive Jesus as Savior. And Father, if they have questions about that, I pray that they connect with us so we can help them. Father, we want to honor you. We know without faith it's impossible to please you, and we want to please you. Please work in our lives to bring us to live by faith. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.